0: If this is the solution, what's the problem? Doctor, you've got a headache, paracetamol. If this is the solution, what's the problem? Dust or. or. Yes. <laughs> if this is the solution, what's the problem? a filthy car. Yes, this is my car sponge. It hasn't been introduced to my car since I bought it. <laughs> if this is the solution, what's the problem, doctor? You've got, of You've got lots of ants. Yes, lots of ants. Ants stop. What else have we got? Ah, If this is the solution, what's the problem? Could be anything, couldn't it, really? <laughs> I knew of one LD relative who used to spray it on an artificial knee. I jest you not. <laughs> if this is the solution, what's the problem? We'll think a little bit about that now. If the cross is the solution, what's the problem? Uh, if you've got your books with you, um, I'm going to do a couple of quotes from this. Uh, we're on page, uh, well it's... V-I-I-I. <laughs> it's part of the um, forward. Um, that's a little bit from Justin Welby. Bottom of the well, second page of writing. The cross is the moment of deepest encounter and most radical change. God is crucified. My friend died in some way for me. Merely writing or reading these words together in one sentence is overwhelming. A person caught by the implications of the cross will be a person who has found the fullness of life, which is the gift of God. We're encountering deep things tonight, deep things of God, deep things about ourselves. So let me pray that the Lord would please be our teacher tonight. Father God, as we think of particularly about the cross and evil, the cross and sin, Lord, would you be our teacher? Would you be convict us, please, Holy Spirit, and please comfort us, challenge us, and help us to spur one another on to godliness and good deeds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have our second, second session of our uh, Lent course and we're looking at the cross uh, and evil is the title of the chapter uh, tonight and we need to look at evil, at, at sin, we need to look at the anatomy of that. Uh, who here has ever dissected a frog? hands straight up. People of a certain age didn't get that privilege. I think it might have been outlawed by the time I went to school. I'm sure that the good doctor has dissected other things. Um, but to, when you take something apart, you spread it all out and see how it works, see what's going on. And we want to do that with sin tonight, not to dwell on sin, but so we get an accurate understanding of what's going on. Um, just shout out to whatever can you give me some bible pictures or metaphors or images for sin not particular sins like greed or lust or whatever but an image so for example sin is lawlessness the bible tells us sin is breaking the law any other things what what does the bible use to describe sin yeah falling short of the mark so the idea of missing a target missing a mark yeah anything else Going our own way, so rebellion. Would you say? Failing to love God, God. so there's a love, misdirected love. Perhaps, yeah. Issues of slavery. We talk about being a slave to sin. Talks about so there's the whole idea of being enslaved in bondage to something else, other than being a slave to God. That's from Romans six. There's lots of different Bible pictures because sin is a multifaceted thing. But I want to pick up on three things about sin particularly that actually spells "sun," not sin. The first of which uh, is that sin is serious. If this is the solution, the problem must be big, mustn't it? Because if the solution was take a couple of pills and you'll be fine, then the problem isn't too serious, is it? Sin is serious. But the you also is sin is universal. Who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? All. Not just people that, you know, some people over here are kind of quite good and they've worked their way up the ladder a bit. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And the N, so serious, universal, An N, not able to help ourselves. Do you know that phrase, can you pick yourself up by your bootstraps? Has anybody ever succeeded in picking themselves up? Even getting yourself out of bed is sometimes tricky. But the idea of actually picking ourselves off the floor, we can't do it. We're not able to help ourselves. Sin is serious, it's universal, and we're not able to sort ourselves out. And the questions, uh, which seems to have eluded me... uh, my Bible. The first question gives us an opportunity to uh, explore that, um, which we can come to in our group time in a bit. But as I say, it's important that we get sin right, and by that I mean our understanding of sin right, because if we get a misunderstanding of sin, that leads to a misunderstanding of God. Because if we say, actually, sin is me being a little bit under the weather morally then God becomes some sort of doctor who might be able to help, but we're basically okay. Do you see, the two are intimately related. And actually, if we say that we're not that bad, that makes God not really that good. So it's important that we take time to consider uh, these things. The nature of the disease determines the remedy and how that remedy is taken. The thing about sin uh, is that it's personal. If I offend gravity, gravity is not upset with me. If I offend electricity and I shove some scissors in a plug socket, electricity isn't upset with me. I might be upset, but electricity isn't. If we offend a personal holy God, we're in a different category. Sin is personal because God is personal. Therefore, sin has to be dealt with. Turn to page 45, uh, that top paragraph. Those who have perpetrated evil must be held to account. The evil that's disrupted the world cannot simply be ignored or glossed over. It must be banished, dealt with, put right. Restoration is possible, but only when sin is somehow atoned for. And this is a key word for us tonight. Key word in this chapter is atonement. I wonder if my three volunteers uh, could stand up. Katie and Mervyn and Sarah. Katie, what have you got? Say it out loud. What have you got? Oh, Ali, sorry, yeah? One-ment. one mint. Could you come together? <laughs> Can you atone <laughs> physically? If you, if you fold that over there, we might even get it. Atonement. A word I think that William Tyndale made up (laughs) to describe this reconciling this bringing back together this what was scattered and separated at one moment, bringing back together. And the thing about atonement is it presupposes estrangement and separation and dislocation and division. So atonement is really, really important. Thank you, that's all you need to do. (laughs) But the question is about Jesus as our representative. How does, how does this atonement take place? This is key stuff that's, that's occupied far greater minds than mine for centuries. Some um, verse that you'll be familiar with from a couple of months ago, just before Christmas. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John 1.14. We're probably very familiar with that. The literal word is he tabernacled. He tented. He pitched his tent among us. The message said he moved into the neighbourhood. Jesus, God the Son, becoming one of us as our representative. These wonderful words from Philippians 2, again familiar to many. Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Looking around the room tonight, I guess those words are not new news to most of us here. You may have led Bible studies on them. You may have even preached on them. You may have done all sorts of things with John 1 and Philippians 2. But when we truly grasp this, a bit like Justin Welby was saying in the introduction, it has profound effects on the way we live and the way we think. But in summary, to talk about Jesus as our representative, a 4th century theologian called Athanasius said in summary, he became like us, so that we might become like him. And if you take away nothing else from tonight, that's a truth worth mulling over. He became like us, so that we might become like him. But you think, well, how, how can that work? How can we, if Jesus, you know, 2,000 years ago, one person doing this, one sort of discrete act, how, does that, how do we identify with that? Well, that's something to mull on in the groups, <laughs> and people have done for a while. But by what, so a way of imperfect analogy, is anybody like football or cricket or rugby? And we are there. Peter, which one's it? Well, rugby, of course. So who's your team? Your uh, national team? England, obviously. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> so if I say, how did we get on? Did you play? <laughs> for England? Did I play for England? No. But I said, how did we get on? We identify with the national team. Can you see? Rather than saying, well, I went and put on, put on the strip and played. We identify with them. So we identify in that way. And we do that quite routinely. So it's not quite as big a leap as we might first think. But there's plenty more to think on that. But uh, Graham Tomlin uses this phrase that's been used by many others about Jesus as the second Adam, and there's a question on that. In what ways was Jesus, uh, is Jesus the second Adam? In summary, where, where Adam got it wrong, Jesus got it right. And there's that wonderful passage from Romans 5 where just as the, the uh, unrighteous act or the trespass of one man brought condemnation or ruin, so the righteous act of one man brought rescue, brought uh, freedom. Jesus as the second Adam, being the new man, the perfect Adam. And we can explore that in our groups. But Tomlin goes on to say about this whole issue of atonement, and there's being lots of images uh, in the Bible, and we, again, with a question to think about the images of reconciliation. We've talked a little bit about that. The issue of ransom. In our group this morning, who is paying who for what? Have a think about that. And the issue of acquittal, a legal image. Uh, at All Saints, uh, in recent uh, Sunday evenings, we've been looking at Romans chapter 8. The opening verse says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not condemned, we're not sent down. But we're not just begrudgingly let off for those in Christ who are justified, which is more than just as if I'd never sinned. It's actually counted positive. And we go on in Romans 8 and we see those in Christ who are adopted as sons, with all the privileges of sonship, which includes women. And the women, if you have trouble with that, men, we're the bride of Christ. But again, with all these things, is probably stuff that isn't particularly new to us, but we need to think how we respond. And there is a question for private thought about that later on. Because it's very easy with this stuff to nod along and say, I agree. That's good. Nothing particularly controversial at the moment, apart from using this as deodorant. Um, We've mentally ticked the box. But I want to encourage us, as as part of our discussions and our, our reflections on this, is to do three sorts of looking. First is to look up. Look at page 54. There's a quote here about halfway down the page. And with a certain sense of irony, I read this. (laughs) You cannot give a lecture at the foot of the cross. (laughs) Ultimately, we fall silent with the reverence that's due to holy love and mystery. We look up in awe at our great God. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Let it wash over us again, the truths of that. But also, if God has, in Christ, made atonement when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home, it's one of the uh, communion prayers that we use. How does that affect as we look out to others? Or do we actually say, actually, Mervyn, no, I've, I've got a problem with you and, I, and I'm not, I'm not going to let it drop because actually you've offended me such a lot. You haven't. But you know what I mean? You've actually, if, if I can't show forgiveness, if I haven't, If I can't show forgiveness, I obviously haven't received forgiveness. Has it really affected us or is it something that we've mentally ticked the box on? So we look up, we look out, but we also look in. Spot the missing word from Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Believe the good news. What's the missing word? It should say, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. We cannot possibly look at a session on sin and evil without, in front of my face, my need to repent. And we must get away from thinking that repentance is this little door that we walk through once when we sign on the dotted line to become a Christian and then we get on with our lives. It's an attitude of repentance that says, Lord, I've messed up again. Will you forgive me? And we may do that corporately in our churches. We may do that in whatever way we do that. But actually to have an attitude of repent and believe the good news. Because there's a real danger we could go from here tonight saying, I believe the good news. But actually we're just entrenched in our own way of doing things. Repent means to turn away, stop, turn around and head in the other direction. And if you're anything like me, you need to do that shockingly regularly. As we come into land uh, for this particular part before we go into groups, just a couple of quotes from uh, uh, two, two men, one from the uh, 16th century. Uh, John Owen, one of the Puritans, said It should concern believers to have a full and clear acquaintance with the power of indwelling sin, to stir them up for watchfulness, diligence, faith, and prayer, and to call them to repentance and humility. I find that very challenging. And from uh, more recently from Tim Keller, uh, a very helpful writer I find from the States. Well, two things from him actually. He said, people whose lives remain unchanged by God's grace don't really understand its costliness and therefore don't really understand the gospel. They have a general idea of God's universal love, but not a real grasp of the seriousness of sin and the meaning of Christ's work on our behalf now it's not to say we have to have everything buttoned down and sorted out and we understand everything intellectually but i think it's getting what i was talking about before whose lives remain unchanged by god's grace don't really understand its costliness and there's a question about uh, the cost what was a quote from him saying uh, from uh, tomlin saying uh, forgiveness and reconciliation cost It'll be good to explore that in our groups. But I want to finish with this quote from, from Tim Keller that was, uh, people put this morning found particularly helpful, and I, I always do. And he said, the Christian gospel is that I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and snivelling I cannot feel superior to anyone and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone I do not think uh, more of myself nor less of myself instead I think of myself less and I find that so wonderfully encouraging and it gives real uh, vibrancy and power to our living Because why wouldn't we then step out in faith because we don't have to be worried what others think of us because Christ was glad to die for us. And yet we have an appropriate humility that would never look down my nose at Mervyn because I know the height from which I've fallen and the grace that stooped and picked me up. And when we we grasp this and start to live this out in amongst our families and our friends and our churches and our communities and our workplace, it has a transformative effect. And the way we view God, others... And ourselves. If we want to be truly God-like, we need to show self-sacrificial love as Christ did. And I really will finish with these words from Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.